Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, February 22nd here in New York City. Uh, almost wrapping up another month here uh, during the COVID pandemic. Hopefully everyone is staying safe and healthy out there. Uh, come today on the podcast is a really fun interview I recorded uh, over the weekend with the head men's basketball coach at UW Platteville, uh, Coach Jeff Gard. Uh, really, really fun conversation. They've had a lot of s- success in the WIAC and Ultra Competitive Conference nationally. Uh, just really great things going on out in Wisconsin at Platteville. Really, really fun to talk to him about. Just his coaching journey. He's been coaching for a long time. What he's been doing with, with the program, how, how he's building out the culture and just uh, all the different things that that's going on out there. So I, I had a lot of fun and, and, and hopefully you guys will enjoy it as well. So I'll hit the music and when we come back is my conversation from Saturday afternoon with Coach Guard. Joining me today on the Double Double is a special guest, the head men's basketball coach at University of Wisconsin Platteville, Jeff Gard. A Wisconsin native, he graduated from Platteville in 2001 and promptly began his coaching career, spending four seasons coaching at the high school level in Wisconsin at Powerhouse Cuba City and Southwestern High School. He then jumped to the college level, joined the staff at Lakeland College, and in 2003, he joined the coaching staff of his alma mater. After six years as an assistant, he was named the head men's basketball coach at UW Platteville in 2009. In his 12 years at the helm, Coach Guard has led the Pioneers to a 185 and 17 record, three WIAC titles, and a five and one start this year. I'm thrilled he's taking the time to join me today. Coach, how's it going? Great, David. Great, uh, great to be on. I appreciate you having me on. For sure. So we're gonna work chronologically here. I mentioned you're from Wisconsin. Wisconsin is a relatively big place. Uh, so can you kind of talk about where exactly in Wisconsin you grew up and kind of how you first started falling in love with uh, the game of basketball? Well, I think it uh, starting with a, growing up, obviously I grew up about 20 minutes north of Platteville. Okay. Um, so was very, uh, very fortunate uh, as a young kid um, growing up, you know, obviously in a small community. I think there's a lot of things said about being from a smaller community as well, where work ethic, I think, was uh, was a key component to uh to our family lifestyle and some things that we did and then not only with our family but then obviously it it helped develop us into the individuals that we were with my two older brothers um but then you know growing up in this area and getting a chance to to see pioneer basketball um in the 80s and 90s you know coach ryan obviously was down here at that time and, and had some things going and really rolling um and it was kind of the thing to do every wednesday and saturday night um, in all honesty. So, you know, I had a kind of a front row seat. Uh, my brother was an assistant coach down here as well. Uh, as a young, at a young age, I was able to sit there and really kind of see how things were going and, you know, really what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Um, never, never really probably dreaming at that time that uh, I would be in the position that I am today. Um, in all honesty, I think it uh, going up, growing up and Again, being in a small community, you're kind of asked to be a part of the family and contribute right. in every possible way. And the same thing got said at the high school level, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being a, a student athlete in high school, uh, was involved in uh, football, basketball, and baseball, um, involved in extracurricular activities on, um, in school as well, and 
whether it be the FFA or uh, forensics, anything else that you can kind of be a part of. Um, you know, and in all honesty, my probably my best sport in uh, in high school was football. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually was actually recruited to come to UW Platteville to play football. Oh wow! Uh, which which I did for one year. Um, messed up my shoulder, and you know I had a, a choice to make. You know, do I want to you know continue to play, try to play through some injury? Um, the coaching staff talked about maybe moving a position. Um, you know, and then kind of the coaching blood kind of started to kick in. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was just a matter of, uh, Hey, you love basketball. You know, that was another sport that obviously had an op- opportunity to potentially go play at the college level too. Um, but when it was all said and done, I was like, oh, yeah, do I want to coach outside in the wintertime when it's freezing or do I right. want to be in a climate controlled environment? So <laughs> uh, fortunate enough, obviously with connections with coach Ryan and with my brother and then, was able to, uh, while I was a student down here, kind of, you know, have a bird's eye view of what was going on um, on Bo Ryan Court. Or, uh, this time now it's Bo Ryan Court, but mm-hmm. in Williamsfield, that was when Bo was here. And then I uh, was fortunate enough to get connected with Jerry Pettigrew uh, at Cuba City High School. And yeah. Coach Pettigrew is obviously a legendary coach. He was just named recently uh, to the uh, National Coach of the Year as well. So it kind of tells you that his success that he's had as well at the the high school level here just down the road in Cuba city. Right. So as you're going through the recruiting process, you're, you're in high school. Why did you choose to go to Platteville? You know, super, super close to home. Did, did you ever think about going farther away, maybe just warmer climates? You know, what went into the decision for, uh, Platteville for college? Well, I think, you know, at first it was always, at a young age, you know, when you're 17, 18 years old, you think you know it all. You want to get away. You want to yeah. do your own thing. Um, you know, explored some other opportunities, looked at some different things. Um, but really, then it, it kind of all came back around. And having two older brothers, and my dad had also also gone to Platteville. Mm-hmm. Um, brothers Greg and Gary both went to Platteville as well. And they kind of paved that road. And, you know, talking to them a little bit more is like, when you go to a school that's, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from your hometown, a lot of people kind of think, well, you're just close to home. Um, even as we tell our recruits now, it's as close as you make it. If right. you go home every single day or every weekend, then, yeah, it's going to be, you know, your backyard. But if you stay on campus, you, you know, take advantage of everything that the campus has to offer, uh, then you're going to get uh, you're going to get more bang for your buck. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of the route that I, I ended up going. You know, I was fortunate enough that I was – I always laugh about it that uh, I was able to go home on the weekends if I needed to, to get some laundry done or if I wanted to go home for a good, good home cooked meal. Right. Um, that was always there. But uh, on the flip side, mom and dad kind of gave us that freedom to kind of do our own thing. Right. Um, obviously we had a small family farm as well. Um, so we could, if we need to get back to help out. We could be there for it. Um, but also, you know, it was still manageable enough that uh, we didn't have to be back home too. When you're out of meal swipes, the a home cooked meal tastes a lot better. <laughs> it, it definitely does. So, it definitely does. So, you're playing football. Unfortunately, injury have to step away from the football team. You mentioned that you were yet you got an opportunity to do to coach and get involved in coaching as a college student. So, can you kind of talk about more about as a college freshman sophomore how you were able to take the disappointment of not being able to play the sport you came to Platteville to play? 
into transitioning into being a coach and getting opportunities to to do that? Well, you know, I, I kind of go back and reinstate what I said uh, said earlier as well. You know, having older brothers that kind of you know paved the road for me. Um, my oldest oldest brother Greg, who now obviously is the head coach at Wisconsin, um, he actually came here for the exact same thing. I mean, he came down here, was recruited to play baseball. Um, you know, and as we he kind of jokes around about it, he found out he couldn't hit the college curveball, so <laughs> that baseball baseball career was short lived. Um, but was able to get into the the coaching, and he did the high school route. Um, you know, and that was one of the very first conversations that I had was after the football situation was going on. And that was kind of, you know, minimized uh, expanding opportunities for me. Um, Having that conversation with Greg and be able to talk through some things and then sit down with some other individuals that just kind of piqued my interest a little bit more um, on what I wanted to do and, you know, getting a chance to get in there. And I think, you know, Looking at it, obviously, I came to Platteville with, you know, recruiting here for football, but it was also about coming here for the academic mm-hmm. side of things and, and being the physical education, health education department. Um, you know, knowing that my ultimate dream was, you know, to be able to to get a teaching degree, to go back and get into the high schools mm-hmm. um, and teach at the high school level and coach at the high school level. So, you know, understanding that you know, being involved in, in sports, um, you know, it, le- leadership kind of came into play a little bit there as well, wanting to kind of utilize the the opportunities that were given to me as a student athlete in the high school level and early college level and be able to pay that forward to, uh, to up and coming kids as well. So at that time, I kind of thought the high school route was the best way for me to go to be able to give back and, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously to be able to make a career out of it all. But like that's kind of a roundabout way how I kind of got uh, got my foot in the door at the high school level. So, high schoolers, and specifically high school boys, are a notoriously difficult group of people to deal with. The maturity levels vary greatly from a fourteen-year-old to a seventeen-year-old, and even from one fourteen-year-old to another fourteen-year-old. So, while you were in college, you know, not that much older than the guys you were coaching kind of how did you approach coaching at the high school level where each kid is, you know, at a, or could be at a vastly different point of their maturation development? Exactly. Well, you know, and it, it started all out for me, obviously with, with coaching, it was uh head coach as a, actually as a seventh and eighth grade coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved in as, was an assistant coach at the varsity level uh, for coach Pettigrew as well. So, you know, obviously, I was even able to work with kids that were maybe a little bit even more immature. Yeah. <laughs> in the, middle, the middle school level, um, you know, but understanding and handling them, you know, talking with them again, being a teacher, I think definitely helped out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they knew the kind of the expectations. And I was, like I said, I was fortunate enough to kind of be around, do some practice teaching around Cuba City as well. So the, the kids knew me, um, you know, and I think that was that's the hardest thing is like you said, it is being a 18 to 22 year old and working with kids that are five to seven years younger than you. Yeah. Um, you know, being able to relate with them, you know, but you know, be friends with them, but not be their friends. But yeah. So kind of be a, be a mentor. So that was probably the biggest challenges early on. Um, you know, and then I think you know, taking opportunities to kind of establish yourself where you could, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but early on, it was more of just, you know, being a sponge and, and taking in everything that I possibly could from Coach Pettigrew, from the X's and O's side of things to the management side of things to, you know, just how he treated everybody, everybody differently. He never treated everybody the exact same. He just knew that different personalities, you know, need to be treated differently. Guys needed to be uh, different buttons need to be pushed for certain individuals. Yeah, when when I was working different camps when I when I was in college, luckily Fortnite, they the kids were all obsessed with. And that was something that people played in college too. So that was the easiest way to connect with kids was Fortnite, 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 because they could talk for hours about that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're just trying to find a, a common theme, and it's even today. Mm-hmm. I mean, trying to find a, a common thing, something with every individual. How can we kind of bridge the gap? You know, and you know, obviously making sure that we're both on the same page. And I think, you know, I've got uh, some individuals obviously on the team that are coming from different communities, mm-hmm. you know, bigger, you know, inner city Chicago, they might be a minority. Um, you know, the one thing that we obviously, we, we say that we have in common, we both want to win. We want to go win a championship. So there's, doesn't matter if I'm coming from Cobb, Wisconsin, a town of 400, or they're coming from inner city Chicago and they're from a school that's from 4,000. Mm-hmm. You know, we both have a vision of what we want to be able to do. And, you know, I think that obviously helps us kind of bridge that gap and how we're there to help each other, you know, reach our reach our goals and our destination. So you mentioned that, you know, your kind of plan while you're going through college was to go into teaching and coaching at the high school level. And so I, so I'm curious, you after you coach for four years at the high school level, you graduate, you get a chance to go to Lakeland College, which is a JUCO now, right? Was was it a JUCO back then? Nope, nope. It's a it's a D three small D three. Gotcha. There's, there's there's two Lakelands. There's one down in Florida that's a JUCO. Gotcha. And then there's one in Central Wisconsin uh, up by Sheboygan that uh, okay. That's a D three. So was so so I'm interested just. What led you to to jump to the college level? Because you were kind of planning to coach at the high school level. You've had the opportunity to do so while you were in college. Or like, what interested you about coaching at the college level? Well, I think it, it was just you wanted to test the waters mm-hmm. and find out um, if that's what you want, the route you wanted to go. Um, again, I go back and, you know, having people in my inner circle that can give me great advice. Um but again, like I said, having people that have kind of walked in the same footsteps or I can follow in the footsteps that they've been in, um, you know, that was kind of the advice that I got from Greg again. You know, mm-hmm. he said, hey, if you got an opportunity, you're not sure if you want to coach college or not, do it early. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as if you're going to go into teaching, one thing you don't probably want to do is go from uh, getting a teacher's salary, which, you know, they're not obviously great, but it's still – quite a bit as an quite a bit more than an entry level position for a college coach mm-hmm. um you know and i think that was more of the the factor of you know find out early while you're still kind of in that college mode you can survive on ramen noodles and you know a hundred dollars a week yeah um to be able to get by versus you know having that that salary as a teacher and then having a lifestyle and then having to completely cut it back um, because you want to test the college waters. Right. So, you know, I was I was fortunate enough when I got up to Lakeland, you know, Coach Combs, I was with him up there. And, you know, I had a uh, – my grad school was being paid for. I had a small stipend. I had a meal plan on campus. 
little things that were able to help out. You know, having a teaching degree, I was able to go do some substitute teaching right. in the Sheboygan Q, uh, School District, so it made me a little bit more money. Um, but I think that was kind of the thing that test the water, see if this is really the route that I want to go. You know, and fortunate enough, Coach gave me a lot of opportunities um, with the recruiting, with scouting, you know, working with player development, you know, all those things, what it was going to be like to be a college coach, Yeah, um, being on the road and that. And obviously being unattached at that time made things a lot easier. Right. Um, you know, I think, if again, go back, if I was a high school teacher and then trying to jump in, there probably would have been a family involved. Uh, so it probably would have made it even a little bit more difficult to make that jump. So you, you kind of mentioned a, a little bit about all the things that you got to do at Lakeland, just being a Division Three assistant coach, can can you kind of go into more detail? Because I don't think people necessarily realize, you know, how small a lot of the staffs are at the Division Three level, and all of the tasks that the that assistant coaches do. And so, can, so can you kind of go into a little more detail on that? And, and just about like you're getting out, you're getting started. How did doing all that stuff help you grow as a coach? Oh, exactly. Well, I think the the biggest thing and the first thing I can say it made you appreciate what you got now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always kind of tell myself, I tell my staff, um, I even tell our student athletes is that you're never too big to do a job. Um, you know, at, at Lakeland, uh, smaller school funds weren't as big as maybe what we have here at Platteville. Um, staffs weren't as big, so it was all hands on deck. And with that said, I mean, it was, there was nights you're doing laundry after practice, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're having to get the gym set up for practice. You're having to sweep the floor. You're having to get the gym set up for game day. Um, you know, getting the chairs out. And, I mean, it was, it was everybody. If you were going to be on the floor, we were going to be playing. We were going to be practicing. It was on us to to be able to get stuff ready. And that was not just the assistant. I mean, Coach Combs was out there as well with us. You know, making mm-hmm. sure everything was ready to go. So, you know, I think that was one of the things. Um, you know, looking at scouting reports. I still uh, in awe of where technology has taken us. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was doing scouting reports back in our in our in the apartment VHS to VHS, mm-hmm. you know, and putting together a splice for the players um, and how to do that, you know, and and that was even high tech compared to some coaches you talk to is kind of the old reel and kind of clipping and cutting out and, pay, and taping together, you know, the old projector reels. Right. Um, so I think. At that time, we thought it was kind of, you know, high tech, and this is pretty cool. But, um, you know, again, I think it just really kind of made you appreciate. I think it was another big advantage of growing up in a small community where you were expected to to do your job, no matter what the job was, and you had to do it to the best of your ability. I mean, if you didn't do it right, you somebody else wasn't going to be there to do it for you. Mm-hmm. You had to you had to go back and do it again. Um, so again, I think like I said the the opportunities that I had at Lakeland definitely propelled me where I'm at now. Kind of gave me a little bit of a landscape as you know what needs to be done, um, but then also have an appreciation for everybody that's involved in your program. Right. Um, you know we we renovated our locker room a few years ago, and you know what did I, I mean when I revealed the locker room to our players? Um, I brought in our booster club. Um, the members there that helped obviously make it make it go, um, but probably the uh, the most important people that I brought in was our janitorial staff, mm-hmm. and I br- I brought them in the locker room before the players, thanked them for everything that they did, and then when I, our players came in there, the our janitorial staff was in there, 
and I told them, I said, this is not your locker room as a student. This is the, the janitorial's locker room, you know, because they're the ones that are picking up after. They're the ones mm-hmm. that are making sure it's clean. So let's do our part to make sure that their job is easier. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and again, take an appreciation for everybody that's involved in your life. Um, you know, and that was, like I said, that is the opportunity that we had that was presented to me. Did I think that at that time? Did I appreciate everything that was going on at Lakeland at the time? No. Um, but I also could say the same thing as I was growing up, you know, what I learned, you know, what was given to me, you know, at one age, um, probably didn't appreciate it, but it wasn't until later on that I, I gained more appreciation for it. You get to join the staff at Platteville, your alma mater, you know, I believe your brother also was, was a coach at Platteville. Did, what did that mean to you? Now, now you're back close to home the school you, you went to just now your assistant, like what did that mean to you? Um, kind of a mix of emotions, yeah. you know, extreme high, you're back home, you're, you know, uh, coming, coming down here as well, you know, with Lake, with the staff that was at Lakeland, mm-hmm. um, they knew of Platteville from afar. And, you know, they knew the success that, that coach Ryan had here. Um, heck, I can even remember when we were, you know, coach Combs and I were at the final four and, you know, we were, he was in the mix for the, getting the head job down here Yeah. and having somebody else in the league say, don't take that job. The expectations are unrealistic at Platteville um, because of what Bo did, mm-hmm. you know, and that in itself just kind of said, yeah, this is a special place. I mean, and, but, you know, the staff coming down from Lakeland, you know, again, we kind of dreamed it. It was like the division level, division three level. It's like having the, the Duke job or the Kentucky job because of the success of that program, um, you know, a few years removed mm-hmm. and having that excitement, but then also, you know, being one that grew up around it, seeing it, you know, having family in it, um, made me understand, Hey, what we're coming into and what yeah. the expectations are going to be. Um, and the expectations are not just on the floor, but off the floor, you know, and the way we represent and carry ourselves as well. So, um, and it's still something that I use to this day. I said, when we, we talk about platform basketball with our recruits and with our players, our student athletes as well, it's a, it's a division one mentality at division three school. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's the way we want everybody to think about this program. It's it's a D1 mentality um, with the, the amenities that we have to the way we operate on a day-to-day basis, um, you know, and what we try to, to give back to our players as well. We want them to feel like a Division One athlete. You were an assistant for six seasons at Platteville. You know, people who are in the coaching profession have talked about the six inches right between the lead assistant seat and the head coach's seat. So once you were named the head coach in 2009 and you made that one seat jump over, what, what is that like? What is the transition like from assistant coach to head coach? The hardest thing is to delegate. Um, you go from being the lead assistant, um, you know, and obviously, like I said, you're, you're coming from a program, um, you know, that you were doing everything, 
mm. um, to as the assistant coach. And even when I was an assistant here at, at Platteville as well, I, I did every single scouting report in those last two years. Um, you know, obviously I had some uh, some help from student assistants as well that were able to help me with some putting some film together and pull the clips that I want or tell them the clips that I would want. They put it together. Um, but, you know, you had a lot of stuff on your plate, you know, and delegated to you. So moving over, um, you got to kind of relinquish the, the reins a little bit and kind of give some stuff to other guys. Um, let Make sure that they know what your expectations are. Um, I think, you know, a couple of my best hires uh, was Brad Stangle, was one of my first assistant coaches that I hired. Um, Brad played here for Bo. Um, so he knew what the expectations were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also brought in a volunteer assistant coach um, in John Nadelkoff, who was an assistant coach for Bo um, back in the 80s and early 90s as well. Um, and was also a successful high school coach. And then, you know, bringing in Sharif Chambliss, my freshman or my first year, uh, Sharif played for Bo at Wisconsin, um, you know, and obviously had a name and it was great in player development. So, you know, when you slide over, you know, obviously one being able to, to give up the reins on, on some of the things, you know, let other people take on some tasks because obviously you're being pulled in multiple directions but also having good people that you can trust mm-hmm. um, that are going to, that know what you need to do or what needs to be done and what the expectations are. And then from there, um, trusting in them enough that they can, they're going to get the job done. And like I said, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, enough people around my program around me that knew what my expectations and knew what the expectations are, were of this program. So Platteville, is in the WIAC, for any listeners who don't know, the WIAC, the Wisconsin League, one of the best conferences in all of Division Three basketball, men's men's and women's, fantastic. And what's something that's really interesting is that when you go through all the different teams in the conference and you go through the rosters, it is loaded, absolutely loaded with Wisconsin kids, in-state kids. And so can, can you kind of talk about a little bit for, for, for people who may not know one, just why there are so many Wisconsin kids who who stay in state and and play in the WIAC, and then also just what it's like for you to be in these quote unquote recruiting battles with everyone else in the league for pretty much the same group of players. Well, I think you know with the first part of the question of you know why are so many kids staying in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, they understand the quality of basketball mm-hmm. in the WIC. Um, you know, we've we've got guys you know currently in the league that uh, last year they're at the Division One level, yeah, uh, or they're at the Division Two level, um, and you know, it, multiple reasons why they bounce back. It could be they want to get closer to home. Maybe there was an injury that you know lost their scholarship, or you know things didn't pan out. Um, they come back here and early on, you know, I think some of these guys that, that go from division one coming back to the WISC, they think, Oh, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to roar through this league. I'm a, I was a division one player. And they find out very, very quickly that, uh, you know, the talent level here is extremely high. Yeah. Um, loaded. You know, we're fortunate too, that, 
you know, the success of our program, the success of the teams that um, in this league that have had the consistency, they've been old and they've stayed old. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's kind of a, an old analogy that obviously you, can, you know Bo used and Greg uses at Wisconsin as well. Um, when you have an older team, you know you're more mature uh, mentally and physically. You know, and that allows that uh, those young guys to kind of grow up a little bit more as well. Yeah. So, you know, I think that uh, that's again one of the reasons why a lot of Wisconsin kids stay here is that you know. I could probably go to the East Coast, but is the is the basketball going to be any better um, at the Division One level? Mm-hmm. I can go to Division Two level, but again, is the basketball going to be any better? The competitive balance, um, and then also it's that you know I think the state of Wisconsin and some of the recruiting services and basketball services that we have do a phenomenal job of highlighting our kids yeah. um, in the state and making sure that everybody knows. And that's like I said, it, you know, you go from, you know, being someone that is written about in the paper every Friday night, Saturday night, you know, you're, you're reading about them all the time. You know, guys leave the area and they could have been, you know, one of the best players in their area and they leave the state, go somewhere else. Nobody ever hears about them again. You know, and I think that's where you're constantly going to be hearing about them wrote up stories about what the success that they're having and, you know, their teams are having. So I think, again, that just kind of continues to circulate. You got a lot of coaches mm-hmm. that are um, coaching in the state of Wisconsin that understand the success and how good the WIAC is. Um, plus there's a lot of coaches that played in this league yeah. that are now coaching at the high school level. So they're, again, they're pushing their kids to this league and saying, Hey, you know, just because don't look at the Roman numeral. Mm-hmm. You know, just just look at uh, look at it. I mean, we had we had a young man today on campus. You know, standing down in the corner, and I can oh, just overhear his parents talking to him about, look how big they are. Yeah, physically. I mean, the shoulders are wide. I mean, it's you know, they're growing men. Mm-hmm. And I think again, that's uh, kind of the, the product of the success of the league um, that allows us to to be able to go out and challenge Division two schools for a kid. Um, and then obviously you have your own battles within your conference trying yeah. to go after kids too. And so while you're building out the roster, what, what, one, of, one of the other things you get to do as a head coach is you get to create the program in your own vision, right? And so a term a lot of people use nowadays to describe that is is culture. And I've talked about this with every coach who I've had on this podcast, and it's been really interesting to hear because culture is a term used that ha- that can have many many different definitions based on who's using it, even if it ends in the same result. You know, the Golden State Warriors culture is very different than the New England Patriots, but they both have won a lot of championships. So, kind of, what is the culture, if you even use that term, of your pioneer program? Uh, character. You know, and that I think obviously our culture stems from the character and the, the type of people that we have within it. Um, we expect. You know, we want high character individuals. We don't want um, egotistical individuals that you know are focused on themselves or you know ones that maybe have a little bit of a bad track record. Um, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is we try to try to engulf our program with, as I say, even in the recruiting process to the moms and the dads, is that I want 
my staff to bring me student athletes or prospects that I feel comfortable enough leaving my five-year-old and seven-year-old with, mm-hmm. um, you know, and again, if, if I can trust them with my two prized possessions, then they can definitely be a part of this program. If I have any hesitation on, do I trust these individuals with my son and my daughter? Then no, I'm not going to want them. Um, and I think first off, when I get that in here, now all of a sudden the student athletes within the program understand what I'm looking for. Now they trust the new guys that are coming in. And it's like, hey, you know, coaches and our staff is not bringing guys in that are questionable character. We got guys that are bought in um, to the big picture, and at the end of the day, it's 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 what what does it take for us to be successful? You know, first off, we need everybody to buy in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a key component to obviously, you know, the success that we've had lately. Um, just, I even say to the success, you got a lot of other successful programs. You look at it across the board, they're successful because there's buy-in um, with everything that's going on on, and so, on and- the court and off the court. And so how can you judge what buy-in is? Cause, cause everyone says we need you to buy in. We, we, we need you to buy in as the coach. What is a sign of buying in guys accepting their role? Mm. Um, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, you, you come in from high school and you're the top man on the totem pole. Mm. Um, you go to college and that freshman year is the bottom. Um, and you got to understand. And I was telling them, I said, talk freshman, talk to the seniors. How did you get to there? Mm. How did, and, when they say it's patience, um, understanding that every opportunity that I get to go out and compete in practice is going to make me better. Um, and I believe me, I've had the conversations with guys every year. I always tell them, I said, there's only so many minutes in a game, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, I can only put five guys on the floor at a time. Right. So, not everybody's going to get the same number of minutes. You may think that you want, you should be playing more. I said, at the end of the day, are you making an impact within our program on a day-to-day basis of making the guys around us better? Um, you know, and I think that that's our biggest challenge is we tell get our guys to understand that piece of it is that, you know, when, when we're, we're more competitive in practice, and we're pushing each other in practice and getting after in practice, that's going to be a lot, allow us to be successful on game night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you want to grow as a player, then grow within practice as a freshman coming in, um, you know, we'll recruits that we're talking to. I said, yeah, you can look at our roster and say, Hey, well, where am I going to play? They got all these guys. I'm like, that's true. What do you want to do though? Do you want to play or do you want to become better? Mm-hmm. I said, you can go anywhere else. There's a lot of other schools you could go to, and you could be the guy your freshman year. And you can get all the minutes and all the accolades. At the end of the day, what is it all about? Is it about you getting minutes and your points, or is it about you having success and going to the NCAA tournament and, and having those type of experiences? Because, again, if you want to have individual success, that's fine. If you want to have team success and then ultimately grow to become an All-American, 
you got to go somewhere else where that somebody's going to challenge you to mm-hmm. become a better player. Right. And I said, why not go somewhere where you have to compete against the best four days a week versus playing against the best once every three weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think getting that mindset across to everybody that understands that, hey, my time is going to come. Um, you know, you don't walk into the, your first job and you're not the president of the club, of the organization. You got to work your way up the ladder. And it's the same thing within a basketball program. And so you also mentioned that your the, the culture, character, 17 and 18 year olds. I know because I just went through, you go through a lot of personal growth, character growth, development during your four years of college. As what type of things do you do to help not just take, you know, high character guys when they arrive, but to help improve and, and do character development things while they're in college? Well, we try to associate them with the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have a, a close family friend of mine and actually now become a, a close friend of the program as well. And, and Father Flanagan, um, a priest of a church just down the road, um, he's become very involved within our program and just talking about development, not necessarily from a religious side of things, but just from a life side of things. Mm-hmm. And that obviously, anytime we can kind of obviously bring people in to speak to our program, um, they're, they're saying the same message that the coaching staff saying, but again, anytime it comes from a different, uh, a different tone or different voice, you know, sometimes it resonates a little bit more. Um, you know, and then probably most importantly, um, it, we try to be a player-led team versus a coach-led team mm-hmm. and really lean on our upperclassmen saying, hey, you were in the shoes of that freshman or that sophomore. Or, you know what they're going through. Help them through this. You know, because, again, if you're helping them through this, you know, it's kind of like passing the torch. By the time you graduate, right? you know, where's the program at? Where's the – Where's the, you can tell how successful – and what type of fingerprints you put on the program by what it is like two, three, four years after you left. Mm-hmm. Because that way you could tell, did you pass the torch on the right way to the freshmen and the sophomores when you were a junior and a senior? Interesting. So further, you know, just talk about just, you know, kind of just the culture and sort of like the big parts of, of the program, which is how do you and just kind of just the program kind of deal with being in a conference like the WIAC? That's so good, so competitive, and that on a year-in, year-out basis, the top five to six teams, maybe even seven teams in a given year, are probably all good enough to make the Division Three tournament. But you guys beat up on each other so much during the season. Teams get a bunch of losses, and this isn't like Division One where they can put nine Big Ten teams into the big tournament. How do you kind of deal with just just the fact that you know you you guys and just probably aren't making the NCAA tournament as much as you probably should be. Well, it's kind of the, uh, from a coach's side of things, it's the fun piece of it all because mm-hmm. you know that uh, your players have to be ready to go every single game. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, prime example, five years ago, we finished dead last in the league. We didn't win a conference game. Um, graduated one player. The following year, we went on. We won the league, and we went to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, that year, that we didn't win a conference game, we had 
of all the losses that we, excuse me, I said we only we won one conference game. Yeah. Out of all the losses, I think we were average. Our average loss was like five or seven points. Right. Yeah. So again, it was that's how close it was, but doesn't didn't matter if you're the first place team in the league going against the eighth place. You knew you had to bring it because you were going to get everybody's best shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what made that makes this league so competitive and so much fun is that on on any given night somebody's going to knock somebody else off and yeah. you can't you can't come in mentally weak into a game you know physically yeah we're banging each other up and taking it to each other but you know it it ultimately comes down to a mental side of things is you got to be mentally ready to go and i think that's even when we get to the the second half of the season for us in conference play we really taper down what we do physically in practice and make it more mental yeah. just so our guys are, are prepped and ready to go. And then, you know, kind of like you and I talked a little bit prior to um, going on air here is the, the mental piece of handling adversity, mm-hmm. you know, and the things that you can do in the preseason and early in the season that, you know, to build that team camaraderie that can help you through some of these challenges that you got and how, when you're going on the road to Eau Claire or to River Falls, you know, and the crowd is against you and everybody, you got to be able to come together and and handle that adversity um, in those those tough environments as well. But like I said, you, it makes it fun from a coach's side of things that you, know, you guys got to be laced up and ready to go every single day. Yeah, that that's one thing I don't think people necessarily understand about the WIAC, the NESCAC, the UAA, just just to name three conferences off the top of my head, which is every single game is truly like one or two possessions away from going the other way, which can change the whole tide of a season, who gets the bids, who get the at-large bids. You know, it literally is two or three possessions in every game of the season. It's, it's unbelievable. Well, it is. And, you know, another way to even look at it is that anybody that's playing right now, hmm. What you are, what every team, every coach is going through right now, and that's the way we look at our league. Yeah, is that don't take today for granted. Exactly. Um, because you never know, um, you never know what tomorrow's going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. so again, if, if we come in and we have a bad practice today, or you know, we we don't come out, we don't give our A game, you know, today against Whitewater last night against Whitewater and we get knocked off. We don't know. I mean, Monday when we come back to test, if somebody on our team tests positive, we're done. Yeah. So again, you know, the old coaching analogy, don't take a day for granted because you don't know what tomorrow holds. Well, during a pandemic, the, the coaching analogy goes into play for everybody because you don't know what tomorrow holds. And I think that's, if there's any positive that's going to come out of this whole pandemic and everything going on is, it, hopefully it makes every one of us appreciate the moment and the day that we're living in is that, you know, don't take it to, for granted because you don't know what, what is right around the corner. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's, there's only one person that knows that. And obviously that's not us, but again, that's, that's the stuff that we can control our attitude, our mindset, our focus in the moment that we're in. You mentioned 2015, 16, really, really rough year. 1 and 13 in conference. You guys bounce back the next year, win the WIAC title. Fast forwarding to the 2019 2020 season, 
You guys are once again rolling. Awesome season. I think top 15, D3 hoops, all this great stuff. And I'm just curious, Coach, because coaches and pundits always say, players, you have to treat every season individually as its own entity, its own thing. But when you've had success in the past, especially in the recent past, you know, I kind of feel like it's only natural to tr- to try and replicate, hey, this worked in 2016-17 and, and we won the league. Let's try to do that again. So so I'm kind of curious, as you guys were winning and rolling in 2019-2020, how do you try to balance keeping that season as its own thing while also like knowing what worked in the past? Well, big thing with us um, and our program is that we're, we try to base everything on a, on a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, the fundamental foundation, you know, and not looking at the big picture, understanding the little things that need to take place to be able to make the big things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's always been our mindset, you know, personnel is going to change year to year. Um, and even if you have a year where you don't lose anybody, that's, it's still, it's a different year the next year because of the fact that you got guys that are a little bit older. Um, sometimes when you have a, an old team, a bunch of seniors that everybody thinks that that might be, um, kind of an easy year for you because you got guys that they've been there, they've done that, you know, they've been successful and kind of like what we got right now. Sometimes that's also the hard piece because you got a lot of guys that want their piece of the pie because Mm -hmm. they're all the seniors. This is my last year. I want to go out with this. And there's your challenge again about getting guys to buy into the culture about being about the team. So on a year in and year out basis, we, we always start everything. Um, and you really, I could probably even go back and look at all the practice plans over the years from yeah. even the year of being down in 15, 16 to even last year's team practice plans haven't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just been put more focus on the attention to detail. Right and do these little things better and again and it's kind of our game plan as well if we're on the floor and you know we're not defending a ball screen the right way well we're going to look at are we doing things the right way mm-hmm. you know and then if if we're not then okay well, we got to do them right do them the right way or maybe we're not going hard enough playing it hard enough okay so go a little harder yeah well if you're doing those two things and it's still not working okay then we'll we'll probably tr- go to the third option is we'll go find somebody else that'll get it done. And if that third option doesn't go, then okay, then we'll switch our scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we've been fortunate enough that we shouldn't have to switch our scheme. If we get everybody to buy in to doing those little things the right way. Yeah. Last year, you guys win the WIAC regular season title in the conference tournament, fall in the semifinals, getting ready for the big dance, the tournament around that while all this is happening, right, the world is stewing up something that we all didn't know was coming. When was the first time that you heard the word coronavirus? Um, right after, no, excuse me, prior to, uh, prior to our first round NCAA tournament game, hearing what was going on at Johns Hopkins. Yeah. Um, and talking to the guy, a couple of guys out on the, the East Coast as well. And uh, Coach Loeffler, obviously out at Hopkins, he and I, we played against each other um, out in Vegas the year before. So we had some mm-hmm. conversations. And then this this summer and this fall, we had a chance to kind of get on the phone and talk a little bit more through what they were going through. 
Yeah. Um, but that was that was really kind of the first of okay. Um, but I think like all of us, we never really thought anything big of it. Uh-huh. Um, and then it wasn't until like the a wow moment. Um, it wasn't until they start canceling those conference tournaments for the Division One. Yeah. And then you know the NBA is canceling games. Um, and then it's, you know, you're starting to hear these things come up and then it's kind of like, all right, is this thing really that bad or is it okay? Well, this is now it's a little, take a little bit more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like I said, yeah, it was going into, um, that opening round of the NCAA tournament game didn't really, uh, but it, it didn't resonate with us. Obviously everything was going on out on the East coast. Yeah. You know, obviously we kind of say back in the Midwest, we're kind of a little bit slower pace you know <laughs> uh re- more of a relaxed pace yeah than uh than it is out of the east coast so we nobody was really kind of up in arms about it yet um i'll tell yeah, you I mean, well, also here here in new york city there's the people who were kind of freaking out about it and then there's the new york stubbornness where like i'm not worried about it you know it's like <laughs> it's like the same people when the blizzard's coming and it's gonna be two feet and they're like i'll believe it when i see it <laughs> yep Yep. Yep. Exactly. So yeah, and I think we were all kind of that. Okay. Well, we'll see if it gets out this way. Yeah. You know, and, and I think and it was kind of comical. You heard, we heard everything from. Well, you know why it's spreading so much in New York is because they're so condensed. Mm-hmm. Well, here we're in the Midwest. We're all spread out. We're fine. And um, yeah, well, it wasn't because it obviously didn't take very long for it to get here. And no. Then, you know, Wisconsin becomes a hot state. And, yeah. You know, so it. it it was definitely doing its doing its job, getting around. So, so you guys unfortunately fall to to, to St. Thomas, which I think was their last game officially as a Division three program, which is kind of a cool tidbit. And pretty much that next week, as you mentioned, everyone, every college student is sent home for the rest of the semester. Uh, virtual classes. As as a coach, you know. <laughs> season ends i'm sure i'm sure you were missing the guys on the team but we're probably happy to have two or three weeks not dealing with 18 to 22 year olds every single day but how did you try and, and stay connected with the guys on, on in your team during the spring semester when everyone w- was at home well you know the, the first thing is obviously when we got beat um that following monday we kind of started getting a little bit of word, obviously more and more was picking up yeah. from what was going on. Um, you know, and talking to our administration on campus, some different things that were going on. So being proactive, um, I had contacted some of our student support um, services on campus and talking to our tutoring services. Okay, if this is going to go in the, tri- the direction I think it's going to go, we're going to go to online classes we need to go a crash course on how to get our guys mentally prepared and physically prepared to be able to take online classes back home. Um, so team meeting on a Monday, we kind of, uh, or excuse me, team meeting on a Wednesday. We rehash the season, kind of talk about some stuff going on and then bring them back in again on Friday and say, all right, this is what's going on. We're shutting down next week um with that said we're gonna have to go to online classes we brought in our tutoring service they kind of helped our guys walk them through how to kind of manage your day Mm -hmm. when you're doing online classes um 
not to procrastinate, put everything off. So just trying to prep them up a little bit. Um, Also still understanding that they were still, you know, burning from the loss against St. Thomas. Yeah. Um, You know, and those type of things as well. So understanding that there is a lot of mass confusion going on. Your mind's one way or one spot for basketball, school going on. And we're on the verge of spring break. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was just, it was crazy. You know, just to say the least. And, you know, I think just going back to an environment, we talk about control, what you can control. Um, that's what, that's all we were trying to do right at that moment is just kind of, you know, keep some a little bit of water on the fire. So it's not burning out of control and, and mm. get our guys in situations where they can, they can be successful. And then when they got back home, it was weekly phone call, individual phone calls with each guy. Um, Zoom calls are, FaceTime calls with guys, actually, what it was. I wasn't doing Zoom yet. Um, I didn't want to be just talking to the guys on the phone or to be a text message. I wanted to be able to have an eye-to-eye contact with them, yeah. even if it was through a through a telephone um, or a Zoom or a FaceTime call. At least I could see them. Um, you know, and then I give a lot of credit to our, our upperclassmen, um, the guys that were juniors, going to be seniors, seniors now for me. They really kind of took the bull by the horns and said, hey, we're going to, we're going to do this stuff together. And they kind of put some challenge team challenges together. So the team was still trying to stay connected, mm-hmm. even though we were miles apart right. as well. So you, you, you mentioned it. You come from a coaching family. Your brother, Greg guard is the head coach at, at Wisconsin Madison in, in the big 10. So, so my first question kind of is how long can you guys go when you're talking before basketball comes up? Um, we talk probably more basketball on the phone, um, you know, and it's more of talking back and forth, you know, uh-huh. send a text message, uh, phone call, hey, good luck tonight, or right. hey, you know, how's things going, um, back and forth. In, in all honesty, when we get, uh, when we get together with family, mm-hmm. we don't talk basketball. That's great. Um, yeah. you know, we both, there's gotta be a separation, yeah. um, you know, he knows that. I know that. Um, yeah, obviously, we do know that if we need something or we want to pick each other's brains, uh, we can definitely do that with a phone call or a trip up to Madison or mm-hmm. you know, pop down to Platteville as well. We can sit down and go over some stuff, watch film together. Um, you know, the nice thing for for me is that I've really tried to build our program around what has been done here in the past with Coach Ryan. Yeah. Um, to what they're doing in Madison with coach Ryan and then obviously with Greg. So, you know, for myself, you know, it's just, you know, turning on the big 10 network or turning on ESPN and watching Wisconsin play or our players. They know that now too, is that, Hey, kind of want to get a feel for what coaches, what we're trying to teach here. Hey, we can go watch, uh, watch our program, quote unquote play on uh, on the national level you know, on ESPN or on, like I said, on the Big Ten Network or CBS. And mm-hmm. so we try to get these two programs are trying to, to mirror each other. And like I said, it's uh, it's helpful, um, you know, having him there and kind of seeing what he's doing and then having access to his staff yeah. as well. Um, that definitely helps out. Yeah, my, my, my coach at Wesleyan, his brother, uh, coaches at a really good high school nearby in Connecticut. Uh, one of his best friends is Coach Latina at Sacred Heart. And just seeing them all pick their – pick their like pick each other's brains basketball wise 
it was like you would walk in and they'd kind of be talking like a different language because they just they just knew they had all these terms for everything. It was it was like it was it was crazy to 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 see that it felt like you were in a different world. It was like okay, the basketball guys are talking now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, well, you know, I think that's even as a, as a young coach, mm-hmm. um, as an assistant coach, you know, trying to go to clinics and and you know, getting out there and watching videos. Those are all great. Um, yeah. But you, you don't really get to know what was going through their minds and what they're yeah. thinking about. They're, they're, when you go to the clinics or you watch the videos, they're showing you all the best stuff or what's going on. They don't, you don't get to see it. And I think that was one of the biggest things that changes I made when I went from an assistant coach to a head coach is I don't want to watch the films. Mm-hmm. I want to go, I want to go see it in person. I want to see yeah. how they act. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough, obviously, you know, we're two hour, two and a half hours away from Milwaukee, so I can get over and watch the Bucks practice. Mm. Um, you know, a connection um, connected me up with uh, with Popovich when the Spurs. Um, I flew out to to Colorado Springs. Um, it was the year say. after the year after they got beat by the Heat mm-hmm. um, in the finals. Um, that next year, they ended up winning it. But that uh, that fall, I was able to go out and watch training camp at. Uh, the, uh, the Air Force Base mm-hmm. out in uh, Colorado Springs, and that was a week. Yeah. It was just, and there I learned more just seeing how Popovich handled practice, handled you know, big time players, you know, in that environment. And I think at the end of the day, you you also think you look at the NBA and these guys are elite, the elite of the elite. And, yeah, you know, as a coach, I'm watching practice and I'm like, okay, when are you going to start doing the the wow factor stuff yeah like no it was a hundred percent it's the it's the fundamentals i mean the the guys are just way way better at it but it's the same stuff yeah i mean and i I, we have our summer camps going on down here um even i tell our players i said i've been to nba camps i've watched stuff there the things that we're going to do today in our elementary grade school camp are no different than what the San Antonio Spurs or the Milwaukee Bucks or Giannis is doing or Duncan is doing or you know, Tony Parker is doing. They're all the same because they didn't get to where they are by skipping the fundamentals. And I yeah. think that's sometimes we're always looking for the the new the new scheme or the new the new fad, whatever it may be. At the end of the day, it, it's are you doing the fundamentals? Yeah, um, and focus on the fundamentals. And kind of like I said earlier building a staple around what you do fundamentally within your program defensively and offensively, you know, and that lets your X's and O's take care of itself. Yeah. Shell drills done at every level. And if you want to, you know, the great shooters, you, you go to any NBA arena, if you can get in early and watch the guys warm up, whether it's Duncan Robinson, the Miami Heat, Joe Harris of the Nets, you know, for a bucks, Chris Middleton, right? The yeah. best shooters in the world. They all start with one hand form shooting right in front of the basket. They're exactly. the best in the world, but, exactly. but so kind of going, you know, summer and fall wasn't clear yet if division three would return when they would return. It was pretty clear throughout division one was at least going to try and play. And so your brother's going through it in the summer and fall. What was that like? What, what was your reaction to hearing from your brother seeing what he was going through at, at Wisconsin and just all the things that go into trying to play during a pandemic. Well, uh, again, I think a big advantage of having somebody that's kind of walking the footsteps that yeah. you are making the path that you're going to be following here. 
um, gave me a lot of advice, you know, on how to handle things. Um, not necessarily how to handle things from a medical side of things, but how to handle things from your player's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the big things that he told me is that don't bring your players back too early if you have, if you don't have to. Yeah. Because he said they actually have probably more access to stuff back home than they will when they get onto your campus. And, and it was true. I mean, I, I really still wish we had a fundraising event going on that brought our players back, you know, about four days before classes would start up. Normally, I probably wouldn't even brought them back <clears throat> if that wasn't the case um, because they had they had more access to the gyms mm-hmm. back home where they had their own courts, they had their own weight rooms in their houses, whatever it may be. They come down here and and we don't have anything. I mean, we, yeah. we're not allowing our the student body to get into the weight room or into the gyms. Everything was still kind of locked down. So it was, we kind of laughed about it. It was like, you know, was it Rocky Four, Rocky Five? We asked him to go to Russia. Yeah, and he's Drago. There, yeah, you know, yeah, playing Drago. I mean, you gotta you gotta train old school, and, and that was some of that was also what we were going through in the spring. You know, guys didn't yeah. have access to everything, so I said you gotta get. You can do one or two things. You can complain about it, or you can find a way to get it done. And you know, we found alternative ways. You know, said hey, there's outdoor courts. You know. Just get out there. Obviously, try not to be on a windy day, so to adjust your shot too much. But you know, you still got to find a way. Don't give me an excuse. It's just like, you know, you're down in a game. Don't throw in the towel. You got to try to find a way to fight back and yeah, and get back on it. And that that's what we had to kind of go through. But yeah, he kind of he gave me some ideas. You know, when we were able to get our guys back, um, again, ideas about how to work out and control your environment so you don't shut your entire team down. So we were doing a lot of pod stuff, mm-hmm. you know, putting our guys in house, their households or roommates. They were the ones working out. So if there was a positive, it would just been those two people or three people that would have been shut down, not your entire team. Right. Um, you know, just, again, common sense and thinking through some stuff rather than, you know, we, we want to – we're trying to get, every, get caught back up from the, the six months that we missed. Mm-hmm. we're trying to get caught up in six weeks and I'm like, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, and, and you, you take a wrong step and you could be shut down for two more weeks. So, for sure. you know, understanding that it was more of a marathon than uh than a sprint. So everyone now it's like, it's like the biggest thing, right. Is everyone's talking about protocols, this health and safety protocols, this, and people just hear that. And I don't think they actually know what that means on a day to day level of what, people are going through as they are trying to play the way you guys are. So what is Platteville's athletic plan and protocols? Like what are all the things that you guys are going through to play this season? Yeah. So once we got the, uh, the thumbs up to go with league um, or go play league play, um, when we brought our guys back, we have had to do one week um, of acumenization period, kind of getting our guys back, getting with our strength coach and our trainer, um, just to make sure that their bodies were ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then we had about three weeks of practice time and then we jumped into games. Gotcha. Um, so during that three weeks of practice time and during the games now, we are being tested three days a week. So Monday, um, we're being tested. Wednesday's a game day. We're being tested in the morning. Um, and then Thursday or Friday is another game day and we're being tested on Friday. Um, so getting our guys, you know, tested with the, the antigen test, um, 
you know, keeping your fingers crossed, obviously that, uh, that you're not, uh, not going to come up with a positive, even if it's a, a false positive, how that can kind of put a pause on everything for a couple of days until the, anti- or the PCR test comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it's also, you know, the, the bigger thing that kind of not everybody thinks about, obviously you're doing all the testing that, but the social side of things, yeah. you know, we tell our guys, it's, you know, we have about two weeks left of the season. We have our one more crossover game this next week. And then the following first week in March is our, our conference tournament. Um, we make a bad decision on a, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. It shuts down the season. Mm-hmm. So now you're, you're, you're impacting their social life. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of stress that comes in with that. So again, you're trying to, to be empathetic to what the student athlete is going through, mm-hmm. um, that their social life's been taken away while all their buddies are able to go to the bars or they're going to classes in person. We tell our guys, go to classes in person if you have them. Mm-hmm. If you have virtual options, obviously take advantage of the virtual options. Be smart when you're going to in-person classes. Kind of socially distance yourself as much as possible. Wear your mask the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I think the other big thing is is family. Yeah. You know, and you're you're a Division three student athlete who is paying your own way, or mom and dad are paying for you. Um, you're playing basketball because it's a, something you love to do. Well, now you've got all these other restrictions thrown on top of you. You can't see your family, or your family can't come down and watch your games in person. Um, cause there's no fans, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just that added stress. And I think again, it just, it makes me be a little bit more empathetic to our student athletes and what they're going through Yeah. Um, and trying to help them through the process. And, you know, as a coach, you want to go win, you want to be perfect. You got to, and you're hard on them, but you also got to step back and kind of put yourself in their shoes and what they're going through right now, especially, especially those guys that are seniors that aren't going to take advantage of that extra year that's given to them, this is it for them. Mm -hmm. So you can either make it a living hell, which they're probably going through, or you can kind of give a little bit of fun to it too. And and making sure that they're enjoying the moment um, while they're in it too. And, you know, I'm thinking about from, from the player perspective, it's also, you don't want to be the person who shuts it down, gets, gets the positive. So, you know, I, I would be concerned about, Hey, if I go to the, to the grocery store to pick something up. And, and if I touch something, right. And then I, I get it or, or I'm a false positive and it shuts down the whole thing. It's just all, there's so much stress now in the day-to-day lives of the players on the team. What's, what's it like for you as the coach? How stressful is your day-to-day life? Like, are you dreading every text message ding or email notification that, that like it's all going to be shut down? Yeah. It, it is. Um, you know, I think there's nothing more nerve wracking than, uh, you know, doing that test. And we're fortunate enough now with the way we're doing our test, we're, they're letting us know right away. We're knowing yeah. within 15 minutes. Gotcha. Cool. Um, but there was, and we will sit around and wait for them. So it's kind of like sitting in the, <laughs> in the, in the waiting room in the hospital or, yeah. you know, you know, some you're, and, but even before that, you know, when we were getting tested and they always, okay, well, we'll call you if you're positive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing more nerve wracking <laughs> than getting a, getting a, a number that you don't know. That's a 608 our area code, getting that number given to you or call up on your phone and you're just like, Oh God, yeah, this isn't, is this the day? 
right. you know, is this the day that I'm going to be positive? Or, and you just kind of, you know, for the next, that hour, you're on pins and needles. And mm-hmm. then, okay, you don't get it, so you're fine. You slide on. Now you're kind of sitting back and waiting. All right, is he going to be one of my players? Is he going to be an assistant coach? Um, you know, I'm, I'm married. I got two young kids. You know, my wife has a job. She's involved in the very involved in the public. Um, so she could. I can't tell her to stop her job, her career, because I got a basketball season going on. Right. So she's trying to balance it. So understanding that there's there's nerve. Everybody's on on edge within your program and in your office, but it's also the same thing at home. Yeah. So trying to make sure there's a balance between career and family and, and making sure that we're still able to to not be choking each other. Right. Yeah. As easy way to put it. So 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 as as we approach uh the end here, Coach, I, I have a couple more questions for before we get to some quick fun ones at the end, which is how do you watch basketball now? You know, you've been coaching for a long time. Your brother is a coach, you know, we talked about at Wisconsin. Wisconsin Madison, can you sit back and watch a Bucks game as a fan, or the the way I can just you know be in amazement at Giannis doing Giannis things, or is that coaching part of your brain always turning where you're dissecting an ATO, you're rewinding to see why they didn't switch or something like that? Yeah, it's uh, it's extremely hard to watch it as a fan. Yeah, um, you know, and I think. You know, that's the big thing, obviously. You go watch a high school game, you're reevaluating that recruit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go to watch the Bucks or watch somebody in the NBA. Um, yeah, you're looking at uh, probably the hardest ones for me to watch, which I always do, um, you know, is Wisconsin's games. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm nitpicking stuff or, you know, well, okay, what's going on here? Why did you do that? You know, and, and it's kind of like, I find myself at times of like, it's like, it's my team. Cause like I said, we we're very similar to what we do both ways mm-hmm. um, at Wisconsin and at Platteville. And I, I kind of find myself even yelling at, at a player on the TV. <laughs> uh, Why did you do that? What are you doing? And, you know, trying to, to fix it or correct it. Um, or, you know, last year going up to the Cole center and watch and you got the yeah. entire crowd. And I, I laugh about it at times, but you know, everybody will kind of nudge me, get up, you know, stand up and start cheering or whatever. <laughs> the, the coach in me is kind of like, all right, yeah, this is what you're supposed to do, or you're supposed to do this. And, yeah. you know, they're getting on their feet. And I, while everybody is around you is screaming and yelling, you're sitting there, you're kind of dialed in, okay, what's going on? What What's, you know, they're in a, they're in a timeout huddle. I, you know, Greg's fortunate enough, obviously, he has me, sitting down there right behind their bench in some area. So I can kind of hear what's going on. I can hear what he's talking to the players as well. So I'm, I'm down more into that than when the crowd is up and screaming and yelling. Uh huh. And so you started coaching, you know, 20 years ago in those 20 years, basketball has changed a lot. You know, the game with analytics stats, three pointers now people have are fully embracing three is more than two how did you kind of go about adjusting your coaching style to the changes that basketball was making at the same time well i think the first thing is looking at the analytics but i'm also not one that's going to get overwhelmed in the analytics there's certain things that i look for within Mm -hmm. our play and what we're doing um 
some of that again I, I think it probably just goes back to more of the old school um the fundamentals doing the little things you know and focusing on those little things and being efficient within those little things as well so um change wise biggest thing for me is tempo mm-hmm. um you know we with the system that we run the offense that we run offensively um not saying that we're uh, we're a run and gun but we're we're picking up the tempo just to make our offense move a little bit faster early mm-hmm. um you know rather than the old days of walk the ball down the floor um now we're obviously any opportunity we can have to push it to get the defense on their heels, the better off we're going to be. If we're walking the ball down the floor, they can dig their heels in. They can defend us. Gotcha. Um, so I think that that's the biggest thing is just kind of looking at the tempo. Um, what are teams doing to, uh, to be efficient with tempo, you know, and understanding that, you know, if this is a shot that we're going to get, is it a high percentage shot? Um, you know, I know there's been a lot put into the, obviously the number of threes that you're taking. Um, I kind of, we still talk about it. Yeah, I'm fine with taking a high percentage or high number of threes if they're efficient, if they're within our scheme. Yeah. Um, or working, uh, you know, we talk a lot about touch the 10 foot zone and, you know, get the paint and then working mm-hmm. back out. Um, so. It's again trying to be more efficient with what we're doing, the shot selection that we're getting, and then, you know, rather than trying to to look into all the analytics yeah. that play within it. Yeah, my my college coach would always say if if you try to drive an attack, you get layups and paint shots and kick out three pointers. But if you're just going for jump shots, you just get jump shots. Exactly, exactly. And it's like we we tell them if we're going to shoot a three. Why not shoot the three that we were shooting all our life? Is that driveway three where mom or dad's out there rebounding yeah. for you and kicking it straight out to you? Exactly. So yeah, if we can if we can touch the paint, we're gonna have a we're gonna have our toes to the rim for a three. All right, coach. I really really appreciate all the time. I have five rapid fire questions in the podcast. Sounds great. All right, number one, your favorite drill. Ooh, um, run the rack shooting drill. And what is that? Guys, guys got to make uh, got to they're three guys to a group two ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got to make five threes from five spots on the floor. Cannot miss two shots in a row, otherwise they rotate. Um, so it's a mental okay. mental toughness drill. Um, I like a that lot one. of guys that they don't shoot it. Uh, they miss they miss the first shot. They gotta they can't focus on the miss. They gotta focus on making the next shot. They miss that second shot, then they rotate. Um, you see your your mentally tough players will run the rack and they basically work their way all the way around the, the three-point line and back and obviously you can vary the distance on it right too. right your favorite yac gym to go to that is not platteville um boy steven's point Stevens point this uh, the, the crowd yeah. um they they get on me <laughs> i think they do it i think they do it i think they do two things in purpose they're always on me i always hear them chirp about um you know, they always give some some comment about Greg up there as well, um, even though they're all Badger fans up there too. Of course, but yeah. But then even I, – I laugh about it. I always thought it was just kind of an air, but they always – when they introduced me up there, they always introduced me as Greg Gard. <laughs> well, it wasn't it wasn't until this year, and I was, there's no fans, and I'm, the announcer is 
sitting right next to where I'm standing at yeah. before the game. And I look at his notes and David, they had Greg Gard on there as the head coach for Platinum. <laughs> so I'm like, this isn't just like trying to get, no, these guys just got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but no, point, Point's always a fun place. To, I mean, you go anywhere in the WIC, it's competitive. The crowds right. are unbelievable. Um, but yeah, yeah, that would probably be at one spot. Do you have any pregame superstitions? Um, certain songs I'll listen to. I'll keep them okay. to myself, but, uh, you know, some things I'll just do in the locker room as well. On a scale of one to 10, how bizarre is it to have the cardboard cutouts in, in the stands? Um, where it tends the most. A, uh, probably a seven. When you look up there and you see like dogs or cats, <laughs> um, I'm like, who the hell brought their, uh, who brought their pet to the game today? So you know, we, we don't, we don't have them here, but, uh, we've seen them on the road a couple of times here. Yeah. And, yeah. It's kind of common. It's neat. I mean, it, it is, it's, you kind of obviously get that buy-in from your, your community and, the support, I know it's something we've talked about, but obviously we're we're putting a little bit of a crunch time to be able to get it done. Yeah. And and last question, Coach, if you could change one rule about college basketball, what would you change? Probably uh, probably the shot clock. Maybe try to get that closer to the uh, the NBA game. Let's go twenty four. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I think that could that could pick up the tempo a little bit more. Gotcha. Gotcha. As well. All right, Coach, really, really appreciate all the time. As always, on the double-double, give a last word to our guests. You know, we want to say our shout-out to the great people of Platteville, Wisconsin. Well, you know, again, Dave, I appreciate you having me on. And, you know, obviously for those around here as well that are listening, it's big family atmosphere here in Platteville. Um, so, obviously, those that uh, that don't know about it, get down here and experience it. Um, again, it is. It's, it's more than just a basketball program. It's a community it's the tri-state area. It's really kind of bought into everything that's going on here around not only the basketball program, but the University of Wisconsin-Platteville. Coach, best of luck this week against lacrosse and down the road with the WIAC Conference Tournament. Sounds great, David. I appreciate you having me on. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back later this week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.